Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I'm going to read the first six verses tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. And here it is, verse 2. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor. Remember those three things. Riches, he's talking about a, a man to whom God has given those three things. Riches, wealth, and honor. So much so, he says, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet, God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. <clears throat> this is vanity, and it is, it is an evil disease. If a man begat an hundred children, and lived many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely, if you write in your Bible, write out beside that word untimely, uh, write the, the word stillborn, or aborted. That's what, he, that's what Solomon's talking about there. He said it would be better for this person, in essence what he's saying, it'd be better if this person wasn't, wasn't even born. This person was never born than to have to experience the misery that he's explaining to us in these verses. Verse 4, for he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. In other words, he's going to be forgotten. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Verse 6, yea, Though he live a thousand years, twice told, so two thousand years, yet hath he seen no good, do not all go to one place? And the answer is obviously yes, we all go to the grave. And that's the destiny um, of us all. I think if we could take Solomon's words in these first six verses and condense them down into some kind of mathematical formula, perhaps it would look something like this. Money minus the master or God equals misery. Money Minus the master equals misery. There are, and we touched on this in our last message from the close of chapter 5, there are countless millions of people in the world, um, perhaps some even among us tonight, 
who are convinced that the answer to all of their problems lies in the accumulation of more money. These are the same people, many of them are the same people, who waste thousands of dollars a year playing the lottery or gambling at casinos. And that's a whole nother message for another time, but it is a message. God covers that. To their way of thinking, if they can just win the big one, then they can kiss all of their... I mean, they could just get that one lucky scratch card if they could just win one big publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. If they could just hit it big one night at the casino, then all of their troubles would be gone for the rest of their life. Let me share a, let me share a few stories with you uh, as by way of introduction True stories of those who won the big one. Take Carl Atwood, for example. Carl Atwood lived in Elwood, Indiana. And he appeared on the Indianapolis TV show called The Hoosier Millionaire. And on that show, he earned a turtle. A turtle. It was a slow death. He earned a total of $73,450 and the right to come back and compete for $1 million. His response after winning was this, I'm very thankful. I must admit that I never expected to be leaving the show with this amount of money. Now I can purchase a very nice car, end quote. Unfortunately, Mr. Atwood never had the chance <clears throat> to purchase that very nice car because it was only hours after making that statement, real story, look at it, Google it, find it for yourself, that he was hit by a truck and killed. Just hours after making that statement. If you want to know the truth, more times than not, winning the big one and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago from the close of chapter 5. Winning the big one creates more problems than it solves. That was certainly true for Rosa Grayson of Washington State, who won the right to receive $400 a week for the rest of her life. And I'm sure she thought that somehow that extra 20000 or so dollars a year would make her life easier. But she was wrong. Now, she hides in her apartment and suffers from nervous disorders. She is quoted as saying, people are so mean. I hope you win the lottery and see what happens to you. Then there's Jack Whitaker who was the winner of one of the richest undivided lottery jackpots in U.S. history. 
$314.9 million is what he won. He was already, he was already a multi-million dollar business owner. And so he opted to take the lump sum after tax amount of $113 million. It was Mr. Whitaker's plan to help the people of his home state. He, his wife, and his daughter held a press conference on national television where he announced that he would, I like this, if, listen, if you're, if you're going to play the lottery, then at least do a little bit good with the money. He announced he would give a tithe of his winnings to his church and start a foundation to help the poor of West Virginia. Now, please don't leave here saying, Pastor said I can play the lottery if I tithe. That's not what I said. According to reports, that's when reality came crashing in. Almost immediately, the story said, floods of letters and visitors started arriving at his office. Security guards watched his house and office around the clock as visitors from all over the country brought their hard luck stories. Jack Whitaker's 16-year-old granddaughter lost almost all her friends. In Whitaker's own words, they want her for her money. She's the most miser- or the most bitter 16-year-old I know. She doesn't communicate with anyone but me. I'm working on that, though. According to what I read, the one goal Mr. Whitaker hoped the lottery would allow him to reach has not happened. That goal was to spend more time with his family. And unfortunately, there are many, many more stories just like the ones I shared with you. As a matter of fact, one study claims that instant millionaires have about the same level of happiness as accident victims. (laughs) But check this out. Despite Stories like these, you still have to stand in line at the convenience store waiting for people to make up their mind which card they want to buy or what game they want to play. I don't know about you, but I find that aggravating. Why is that? Because they're still believing the myths that we talked about in the last message. If you weren't here, here's a recap of the myths that Solomon put to rest at the close of chapter 5. The first one is the prosperity myth, which says that if we can just make a little more money, we'll be satisfied. But the Bible says, he that loveth silver will not be satisfied with silver. In other words... The more you make, the more you want to make. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Now listen, don't don't sit there and say, well, that's your opinion. No, that's Solomon's opinion, who was the richest man to ever live. Listen, he, 
he probably dropped more money on accident than you and I will ever make in a lifetime. Those are his words. Number two, the security myth, which says, if I can just get more money, I'll be secure. No, Solomon said, the more money you have, the more worries you have. Number three, the tranquility myth, which says, if I can just get more money, I won't have any worries. Well, we pretty much debunked that one. Number four, the eternity myth, which says that money will last forever. And number five, the ability myth, which says that the ability to both earn and enjoy money is of ourselves, which is not true. The Bible says that it is God who gives us the ability to make wealth. And I'll say again tonight what I said a couple of weeks ago. We are one heartbeat away from being forever disabled and unable to make another penny for our family. Just one heartbeat, one breath away. No, no, it's God who gives us the ability to make money. It's God who blesses us with the skills and the abilities and the talents and the wisdom and, the, and all of that. It's, it's of God. Yeah, but I'm brilliant. Thanks to God. Yeah, but I'm good at what I do. Thanks to God. Well, I know how to manage my money. Thanks to God. You with me? Listen, those are all myths. As we consider Solomon's words in the first six verses of this chapter, we're going to do so under two headings tonight, just two points if you're taking notes. And here's the first one, God's blessings. God's blessings. Solomon speaks here of a man who had been blessed, remember, with riches, wealth, and honor. Look at it again. Verse 1, there is an evil which I have seen. Or verse 2, a man to whom God hath given, read it, read it with me, riches, wealth, and honor. Read them again. Riches, wealth, and honor. So he's talking about a man who's been blessed with those three things. Now, there are a couple of schools of thought as to who this man might be. Some speculate that it was someone that Solomon was familiar with, <coughs> a good friend, a close acquaintance, while others think that he's just talking hypothetically here. I think, and, and, and you don't have to agree with me tonight, but I, I think I'm, I stand on pretty firm biblical ground, as we'll see in a moment. I think it may have very well been someone Solomon indeed was familiar with, like himself. I personally think that Solomon, as he has been throughout this entire uh, narrative of Ecclesiastes, is sharing his own life story, his own life experience. If you weren't here earlier, um, I ask you to, uh, I ask those that were here to find Second Chronicles. So do that, uh, if you would, please keep your place in, in uh, Ecclesiastes and go to Second Chronicles, um, chapter seven. And here's why I would would submit to you uh, that it's most likely that again Solomon is, is describing his own life himself. 
And here, here's, here's why I say that. Look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. I said chapter 7. I meant chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 7. When you get it, say amen. All right. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, And what shall I give thee? I'm going to stay awake all night and wait for God to appear and say, all right, what can I give you? And what an opportunity. Think about that. What an incredible opportunity. God shows, comes up or appears to him, what, Solomon, what can I give you? Look at verse 8. And Solomon said unto God, thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David, my father, be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now, here's what he asked for, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor. Isn't that the same three things we read about? God said, Because you didn't ask for riches, and you didn't ask for wealth, and you didn't ask for honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked for long life, but has asked for wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and, look at it, and I will give thee, read them, riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. So that's why I would submit to you tonight that Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 is not presenting some hypothetical situation. He's not talking about someone that, that, uh, that he was acquainted with. I believe he's talking about himself. Solomon is telling his own story in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. So I just find it too much a, a, of a coincidence. He's, again, he's describing his own experience. And what was his experience? Well, look in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. So here we see Solomon, he's living a God-centered, God-honoring life, and as a result, God blessed him with knowledge, with understanding, and with riches, and wealth, and honor. And his request honored God, and he gave him those things. Now, turn back to... 1 Kings, if you would, or excuse me, turn back to 1 Kings, 
As we continue to follow Solomon's life experience, I mean, he was blessed indeed. Let me show you 1 Kings chapter 10. So, so would you agree with me tonight that Solomon is, is uh, perhaps describing his own life experience in Ecclesiastes chapter 6? Is that a fair assumption? We don't have to agree. If, if you think it's a, that's fine, it's not a theological issue. It's not uh, anything to split hairs over like I would do that with anybody anyway. <laughs> Some of you finally getting it. Brother Bryce got it right off the bat, didn't you? Yeah, we don't split hairs with anybody, do we? Second, uh, or excuse me, First Kings chapter 10. Look at this. Verse 21. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea a navy of Tharshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tharshish, bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. Look at this. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth, verse 24, sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And so everything looks great. Stay with me, I'm making a point here. Everything looks great until you come to the next chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. But, pretty ominous, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. Though Solomon was strong in riches, he was weak in resistance. Though he had a lot of money, he didn't have any morals. And you can read the result of that in the rest of the chapter, verses 2 through 23. So here's my point tonight, church. As long as he kept God at the center of it all, Solomon was blessed with God's favor. But when he began to compromise his commitment, and you can read the rest of of that chapter, I'm talking about to the point of building centers of worship for his wives' idols. I mean, just look at that list. Those are people that God said don't have anything to do with. Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Zidonians and Hittites, those were the enemies of the people of God. And yet these are the gods of the women that Solomon was loving on. And so he built um, centers of worship for his wives' idols. And when he did that, the foundation of his kingdom began to crumble. Now, as I've already said, I just can't help but that Solomon is, is, is recounting his own miserable existence of trying to find meaning in life via wealth and women. 
Warren Wiersbe had this to say in connection with this passage. He said, to enjoy the gifts without the giver is idolatry. And this can never satisfy the human heart. Enjoyment without God is merely entertainment. And it doesn't satisfy. But enjoyment with God is enrichment. And it brings true joy and satisfaction. So let's go to the second point tonight. And we'll probably finish up early this evening. Man's burden. God's blessings. Man's burdens. It's somewhat ironic to me that God's blessings can become man's burdens. But that's exactly what happens when we don't choose to live or when we choose to live a self-centered, materialistic life. When we take the blessings that God bestows upon us and we begin to use those things for ourselves and ourselves alone, God's blessings become man's burdens. If you'll remember, we learned from our study of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 that God hath, Solomon said that God, that God has put the world in our hearts. We studied that word world there, it literally means vanishing point or eternity. So literally speaking, what Solomon said was this, God has set eternity in our hearts. And because God has set eternity in our hearts, listen church, nothing of this world will ever bring lasting satisfaction. Are you with me? Listen, there is a, there is a, there is a part of our heart that nothing can fill but God. More cars, more land, more houses, more guns, more bows, more golf clubs, more, more clothes, more dresses. None of that can satisfy. I mean, there's only one thing that will fit there, and that's God. It doesn't matter what else we have. Notice what Solomon has to say about all of this. This is sad. He says, even if a man could father a hundred children and live for 2,000 years, his life would still be miserably empty. He says that it would be better not to, to excuse me, he says that it would be better not to have been born alive in other words, if he would have come from his mother's womb dead, he says it'd be better than to live the miserable life that awaits the one who does not 
acknowledge God. And let's remember tonight that the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is this, trying to live life under the sun. In other words, trying to live life without God. It's all about what's under the sun and nothing about who is above the sun. And so Solomon uses that phrase, under the sun, to talk about just life as we know it, life on this level, life without God in, in, in this world. He says, somebody who tries to live life like that and thinks that somehow more money, more things is going to bring happiness and satisfaction and peace and all of that, he said he is so wrong. And again, I don't think he's speaking hypothetically here. These words are coming from a man who lived it. And he said, listen to me, I'm telling you, nothing satisfies but God. I recently read the story of the life of James Cash Penny, J.C. Penny. He had managed to build a flourishing business, and as a result, he became incredibly wealthy. However, when the Great Depression came along, his life was radically changed. Worries had set into the point that he said he was so harassed by them that he couldn't sleep and developed what he called, quote, an extremely painful ailment, end quote. Penny became so concerned with his deteriorating health that he checked himself into a hospital and waited to die. One evening, the certainty of impending death had so gripped his soul that he began writing his farewell notes to his wife and to his children and to other loved ones. And as he was writing, he heard the sound of singing. And so he got up and he followed the sound until it brought him to a, a small chapel. And as he looked inside, he saw nurses and doctors singing. And he listened as they sang these words. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. And in his own words, here's what transpired next. He said, suddenly something happened. I can't explain it. I can only call it a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of a dungeon into a warm, brilliant sunlight. I felt as if I had been transported from hell to paradise. I felt the power of God as I had never felt it before. Following that experience, J.C. Penney left the hospital 
He rebuilt his sagging business empire to unprecedented heights. And he served God magnificently all of his days. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and, and uh, somebody can correct me afterwards, but I believe it was J.C. Penney who came to the point in his life when he gave 90% of his money to God and lived on 10%. That's pretty incredible. Gave 90% of his income back to God and lived on the 10%. Now here's the final point tonight and I'm done. God never intended for his goodness toward us to be our downfall. You with me? God never intended for that to be the case. And if we will keep our hearts centered on him, all will be well. Whether we have little or much in terms of what this world has to offer. Now listen, I don't buy into the whole prosperity gospel nonsense. I just finished reading a book by... um, Benny Hinn's nephew, I can't remember his first name. And man, what a revealing, what a revealing book. He wasn't mean, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to tear anybody apart, he was just being honest. Casty is his name, Casty Hinn. And he wrote about the, the, the sham that all of that is while these men are flying around on Learjets And there are people literally living in poverty because they've given their last dime to these people who said, if you just give your money to God, everything will be okay. Listen, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy at all. I think it's a false gospel. I think it's sending people to hell. But at the same time, I'm not anti-wealth either. Listen, if God chooses to bless you, (laughs) praise the Lord. Listen, I'm all for it. But just keep your eyes on Jesus. And if God doesn't choose to bless you in a magnificent way, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Because no matter the test, God will take care of you.